Word of God. Uh, go ahead and grab a Bible, whether it's your own or the Pew Bible or your phone, uh, and turn to the book of Colossians. And in the Pew Bible, the page is 983, and that's where we'll be. Yeah, and if you're visiting, if you're new, uh, something we do every week is we sit under the Word of God for somewhere around 40 minutes and just see what the Word of God wants to say to us um, by, his, by God's Spirit because um, we believe that the Holy Spirit uh, co-wrote the Bible along with human beings, um, but that it is living and active and powerful even today. And so we're going to spend some time reading it, meditating on it, reflecting on it, um, because God wants to use it in our lives. So, all right, once you're there, we'll be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Uh, go ahead and stand up, and we'll read our passage together, and then we'll pray and sit back down. All right, go ahead and just follow along with me as I read verses 9 through 14. Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Let's keep standing while, we, while I pray. Father God, we just praise you for this, this arc, this story, this trajectory of what the gospel can do in our lives. And Lord, I pray for each person here that your spirit would speak specifically, personally, intimately, tenderly, gently, invitationally to them this morning that your word would go out and do what it is supposed to do today in our hearts. We just give you this time. We give you distractions. We give you our phones. We give you our jobs. We give you our relationships. We give you what we're supposed to do later today, what we're excited about, what we're sad about. We just give you all of it and pray that your spirit would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So I'd love to invite you just to be in the book of Colossians right now in this season. Be in it. Read it. Read it all the way through. It only takes like 12 minutes uh, if you're reading relatively normally. That's not that long. So I'd encourage you over the next few months as we, as we sort of slowly march our way through it, I would invite you to read through it a few times, kind of get this big picture of it uh, in your mind. So last week... Paul was thanking God that the gospel, which is the A to Z of Christianity, 
that this gospel had reached Colossae. This city, it's kind of a small rural town, not that big a deal. Paul had never even been there, and Paul is just praising and thanking God that the gospel got there. And so this week, he's still praying, and he's praying that this same A to Z gospel would actually accomplish this A to Z work in them. So last week was a prayer of thanksgiving. This week is a prayer of intercession. You know, Paul is actually asking God to do something in them. And it appears that the Colossians are being tempted by other cultural voices to believe that in Christ, they don't have everything they need. And so Paul then prays for this, no, 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 it's A to Z. Jesus isn't just A, B, C. He's A to Z, and he wants this reality to set in for them. They might not grasp the true value of the gospel. And so Paul goes to bat for them in prayer before God. And so in this prayer, we see this a beautiful trajectory of where the gospel can take us if we let it. And so the first thing we learn right off the bat is that Paul is a believer in prayer. In verse 6, he thanked God that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing both in the world and among them. But then we see right here, he prays for that very same thing to happen. In fact, he says that since the day he heard of this church being born, he has not ceased to pray these things for them. So clearly, Paul sees a correlation between what the gospel naturally does by God's power and yet how our urgent prayers for one another play a part. So right here and now we should take note. We need to be praying for the gospel of Christ to do its complete work in one another. Okay, sermon's over. Let's just pray for each other for the rest of the time. No, but seriously, this is what we get right off the bat. And it's not just prayer when a problem comes up. It's prayer for for the gospel to manifest deeply in one another. So Paul exemplifies that for us, and we, we should follow suit. So what is this trajectory that we see? So first things first, in verse 9, what does he say? He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so, We see the primary request that Paul asks of God right here, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Everything else that follows in this entire paragraph, it's one single Greek sentence. Everything else that follows is modifying this initial request. What is he asking for? Well, I'll tell you this. He is not asking 
that God would show each of them His individual will for their lives. Okay? He's asking that they would see the big picture, capital W, will of God. And where is that found? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's asking God the Father that he would fill these Christians with the Holy Spirit-empowered awareness of all of the ins and outs of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that apply to your individual life? You know, what, to, what job to take, who to marry, etc.? Yeah, of course it does, but it's so much bigger than that. Paul is praying here that they would get it. He says, knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. That they would get God's cosmic plan as revealed in Christ. I've got a quote on my wall. It's from C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle. And so there's a scene in that book in which several of the characters are entering basically Narnia's version of heaven. And the unicorn speaks up. And here's the quote. It says, It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Bree hee hee, come further up, come further in. In Christianity, there's the reality of what we call the already and the not yet. This new home that we have in Christ has begun, but it has not yet been fully realized. And it won't be until Jesus returns to earth to consummate all things. But for Paul, it has begun. And once we get it, once we are filled with this knowledge of God's will in all of the Holy Spirit's wisdom and understanding, then the trajectory of our lives is never the same. We are invited further up further in. And so for the rest of this prayer, Paul asks God to make this A to Z reality of the gospel happen in their lives. And so verse 10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so first, this understanding of God's cosmic will does not stop at knowledge. It does not stop in our heads. There is a purpose to it that we see in verse 10. It says, so as to walk. That's a reason statement. That's a because. That's a, that's a because of this reality, now do this. So as to walk. When the Bible talks about walking, it's talking about living. When it talks about our walk in this life, it's talking about how we are living our lives. According to Paul, 
when we understand what God has done for us in Christ, we will want our lives to reflect that. And when it says that we are walking worthy of the Lord, it means fitting. Jesus told a story about a servant. And this servant owed his master the equivalent of millions of dollars. And this servant, he he was unable to pay it, and he was about to go to prison. And then he fell on his knees and begged this master for mercy. And then shockingly, the master forgave him the entire debt. And he left his master's presence, a free man. But then he goes to his co-worker who owed him a few hundred dollars and he demanded payment. And when his co-worker could not pay, he called for the prison guards and had him beaten and sent to the debtor's prison. Was it fitting for someone who had been forgiven that sum of money to be greedy in exacting payment of a few hundred dollars. It's the same with us. When we understand through the Spirit of God, His plan as revealed in Christ that applies to us, the logical next step is to live for Christ, to desire that our lives match what He's done for us to desire that what we do on Monday and Thursday and Saturday fits this new reality. To want every part of our life to please Jesus. And so Paul, he says, yes, this is knowledge, this is wisdom, this is understanding, but it it results in a life. And so he continues on to describe this changed life. You know, what does going further up and further into this gospel look like? Well, what we'll see is four aspects of, of what it looks like. It's, it's beautiful. And it's not just things you need to do. It is an intimate partnership between you and God. And so he lays out four things here. Firstly, verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. So notice that what he says here, bearing fruit in verse 10, in every good work, it adds on to what he's already said that the gospel is doing in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. And so we see here in verse 10 what bearing fruit looks like. It looks like good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. And you should know that Christianity is not a works-based religion. But it is a worship-based religion. If you skim or, or read through the whole New Testament, you will see countless commands to do good works over and over again. But Christianity 101 alert, these good works don't curry favor between you and God. The good works we do are a response of worship to what God has already done. You know, in Romans 12, Paul says, Because of 
the mercies of God. You can't skip and skim past that. Because of the mercies of God, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Because of the mercies of God. The good works we do are God's invitation to partner with him in creating flourishing in the world. And that that concept of bearing fruit, it gets this point across. You cannot 3D print food or fruit, at least not edible fruit. Fruit is an organic process. It comes from within. And Jesus famously said that apart from him, you cannot bear any fruit. And so these these good works that we walk in are an outworking of this intimate connection we have with God through Christ. And Paul confirms this in the next aspect in verse 10. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we're not just bearing fruit in our productivity with God. We simultaneously are growing in our depth of intimacy with God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. This is experiential knowledge. And so over the course of a life of faith, God continuously invites us to go deeper and deeper with him experientially. He wants us to increase in the knowledge of who he is. He doesn't just have things for us to do. And so while this word knowledge definitely includes knowledge about God, say like theological knowledge, but it is much more than that. Due to their cultural moment and the needs that were right in front of these people, the Colossians were tempted to settle for the relationship with God that they already had. You know, they thought they had experienced all there was with this whole Christianity thing. Some of you might be in the same boat. Maybe you feel like you've plateaued with the God of the Bible. Maybe there's some other spirituality out there that can scratch the itch that you feel or help you cope better with your current struggles. And Paul is telling us right now that there's not a time in our lives when we will have experienced all that God has and wants to offer us in relationship. There's always more. But here's the kicker. This intimacy most often comes through pain. C.S. Lewis also said in in one of his nonfiction books. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And Paul confirms this in Romans 5 when he gives the, the trajectory of spiritual maturity. 
He says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so as we travel through pain, God invites us to press into him, to go out on a limb of faith with him. And he promises, in right there, Romans chapter 5, to create in us someone new, someone of character, someone of hope, depending completely on his love, out on his limb that he vouches for. And thankfully, he supports us in that endeavor, which is what we see next. So we see, we've seen bearing fruit, we've seen growing in this knowledge of God, and then we see in verse 11, it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And so clearly, God does not promise an easy, comfortable life. He doesn't. And that bums me out. Until I remember what he does promise, which is so much better. An eternal comfort that begins now. And it doesn't stop when we die. But, in the difficulties, in the pains, and the sufferings of life, God doesn't leave us out to dry. Paul says here that it should be normal for believers to be empowered by God. Look again at what he says. It says, being strengthened. That's the passive voice. A.K.A. we do not strengthen ourselves. Someone else does the strengthening. And then it says, being strengthened with all power. That can also be translated every power. As in, in every situation that requires the power of God, he will provide it. And this power has no end. Why? Because it is according to his glorious might. It's untapped. No matter how much you use, there is always more. So God strengthens us in every situation in which we need it, and it's all based on his unending power. So why does God empower us? Why does he strengthen us? What is the point of God's power in our lives? Is it to make us feel powerful and legit? 2.0 Christians? No. Paul says here that it is for all endurance and patience with joy. The Christian life is hard. And so we need God's power in order to endure it. And to do so with not just gritted teeth and bare knuckles, but with patience, with joy. 
One commentator differentiates endurance and patience by saying, endurance is for difficult situations. Patience is for difficult people. (laughs) Endurance is like resilience. It's You're still standing. You're still here. Patience means you're not just a shell of a person by the end. You're still able to exhibit Christ-like warmth and tenderness to others. Patience also assumes hope because you're waiting for something and something better is coming. This is what the power of God is for. It's for endurance. It's for endurance in this life. It's for patience. It's for when you're in a season like the Lord Jesus was in and Satan whispers, you shouldn't suffer. Jesus paid all all that needed to be suffered. You don't need it to go through pain. You should be mad at God right now. You should curse God and die, like Job's wife said. But that's not the truth. The truth is, God empowers us to endure. And he empowers us for patience. And we need it fresh every single day. And you might have a footnote in your Bible at the phrase, with joy. Mine does. And it says, it says or with joy giving thanks, or giving thanks with joy, or giving joyful thanks. And most scholars seem to favor that. So we're going we're gonna to turn now to this last aspect of a transformed life in the gospel. Giving joyful thanks. And ain't that just the sign of a transformed life? What does it say in verse 12? With joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So giving joyful thanks. When you're in the midst of trials that require endurance and patience, can you imagine still being able and choosing to give thanks with joy? That is, that is a transformed life. That is different. That is countercultural. And lately I've noticed that I am constantly having to zoom out in order to give thanks. You know, when I'm in the trees of my life, when I'm just staring at a tree trunk and the bark. Oftentimes, it's hard for me to see the forest of God's faithfulness to me. But when I zoom out and I see the the big picture of his hand on me, guiding me, leading me, loving me, forgiving me, forming me, changing me, blessing me, I can't help but bubble up with joy and thanksgiving. And this is what Paul recommends here. No, no matter what you are going through, zoom out. Zoom out and see God's hand on your life. See where you're headed. Zoom out. The creator of the universe who invites you to call him Father 
What did he do? He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness, transferred you to the kingdom of Jesus, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We can always, every moment, every day, zoom out and see that. And Paul says, do that, and you will be able to give thanks. You will be able to give thanks, not just through gritted teeth, but with joy. What freedom! What freedom to have in that reality. And if you haven't noticed, Paul, he's intense. You know, he's what you might call passionate. But there's a good reason for that. You know, Paul, as we, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, he hated Jesus. He thought Jesus was just a dead criminal who led many people astray, claimed to be God, all sorts of just weird nonsense that didn't square with the Bible. That's what Paul thought about Jesus. He was hostile to Jesus. He persecuted anyone who claimed the name of Jesus. But then something happened. Jesus appeared to him. He experienced firsthand the power and majesty of the risen from the dead Jesus. The glorified Jesus. The one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And Paul often recounted that story. If you read the book of Acts, it tells it from a, you know, this is what happened, and then it tells it from his perspective multiple additional times. And in the last time that he recounts it in the book of Acts, listen to how he describes this experience. He says, I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests, and this is to go and persecute and imprison Christians. While on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Jesus says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, which is another way of saying, I've been trying to get your attention, buddy, and you're stubborn. And then Paul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet. And this is where Jesus handpicks and commissions this person who hated Jesus. This is what Jesus says. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
These are the words of Christ that Paul heard calling him out of darkness. Did you notice how similar those words were to the prayer he prays for these people? He's just taking Jesus' commission that he put on him and he's praying it over these people that they might turn from the domain of darkness toward the kingdom of light. That he might thank the Father for transferring them from this kingdom to that and offering them, granting them forgiveness of sins, redemption from slavery. Jesus handpicked Paul for this purpose to proclaim the kingdom of Jesus that is open to all and remains open to all and the redemption that is available to all. Through Jesus alone, we are freed from the slavery of sin. And that's what redemption means. To be redeemed means to be bought from slavery. We were slaves. Just like the Israelites in Egypt, And through the exodus of the cross of Christ, we can now stand up and leave the domain of darkness and thrive in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's beloved Son. When we take a step back from the weeds that we're in, zoom out and see the goodness of God to have done this for us, then we can freely and appropriately give joyful thanks. You might be here this morning and you might realize that you have not yet been transferred to this kingdom of light. Like I said, the invitation is still open. And I want to give you a chance. I want to give you an opportunity to receive this redemption today. If that's you, I'd like like to invite you to pray a prayer with me. So let's all close our eyes. If you're here this morning and you are in a place where you want to entrust your life to Jesus today, pray this prayer after me quietly to yourself. Father God, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I cannot save myself. I recognize that Jesus is your appointed Savior. I believe that he lived a perfect life. That he died for my sin. Was buried. Was raised to life. And is coming again. I put my faith and trust in him. And today I call him the Lord of my life. Please give me your spirit that I might live a life pleasing to you. Father, thank you for transferring me to the kingdom of Jesus. And thank you that I'm no longer in darkness. Thank you for forgiving my sin. 
I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed with me, I just want to encourage you to do three things. One, tell someone. Two, get yourself baptized. And three, begin to follow Jesus alongside us. That's all we're doing. We're just trying to follow Jesus. And so for all of us now, as we enter a time of response, I want to pray this prayer over all of you. Because it's better than any prayer I could pray. But as we hear God's word prayed over us, we can be that much more confident that this is what he actually wants to do in us. This isn't just some far-off reality that, that won't touch you. This is what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in you. He wants you to have a flourishing life. He wants you to be cleansed from every sin. He wants you to walk with him in partnership, doing good works, all out of worshipful, of worshipful heart because of what God has done in and through you. So let's, let's receive this prayer over us. Father God, I ask that you, that these, that all of us would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might walk in a manner worthy of our Lord Jesus, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, being strengthened by you with all power according to your glorious might so that we might endure, so that my, we might have patience, and so that we might give joyful thanks to you, Father God. You who have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Amen. All right, we're going to spend some time singing our praises, thanking God. Millie and Steph will be up front here. If you prayed with me especially uh, to receive Jesus this morning, I'd love for you to come forward and receive prayer. Um, tell someone. Uh, if you're carrying a burden, if you're, if you're sick, if you're, if you're depressed, if you're going through a trial, a tribulation, a difficult thing, please come forward, receive prayer from someone who cares for you and loves Jesus. Um, if you want to give of your offerings, of your tithes, you're welcome to do that online or via the box here. And for those of you who have entrusted your life to Christ, we also are going to take communion. And there's a basket here with the elements of communion for you. And just remember that this redemption that we have, the forgiveness of our sins that we have, was bought. The, the, the slavery that we had that was, that was cleared through a redemption price, it was paid. And the price is represented in communion in the body of Christ, in the blood of Christ. And so as you take it, remember that. Reflect on that. Proclaim the love of God that was made manifest 
through the death and resurrection of Christ. All right, let's spend some time worshiping and praising the Lord.